This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, that's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 72. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I welcome back Tom Shaughnessy to the program. When we first spoke, we discussed the importance of stock screeners and how to use them. Since then, Tom was an equity analyst at Oppenheimer for a couple years, honing his due diligence and research skills. I decided to have Tom back on because he recently started a new venture called 51percent.io, that's 51pct.io, where he's providing institutional-grade research covering the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry. While I've done an interview covering ICOs on here, I've yet to do a full-on crypto-dedicated episode, and we do our best to cover a lot of ground. The goal for this episode is to define cryptocurrency and blockchain and try to get a better understanding as to how to value this new asset class. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 72, and I would like to welcome back Tom Shaughnessy, Senior Crypto Analyst at 51percent.io. That's 51pct.io. Tom, welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. It's good to be back, Bobby. It's been a while. It has been a while, and it's uh, good to speak with you again. So, uh, you know, for those who may have missed our first episode, which was episode four, where we talked about uh, how to use a, a stock screener and the importance of uni- using stock screeners, you know, what, what is your background? You know, how'd you get into this, uh, the world of finance here? Yeah. So um, I guess on our first episode at the time, I was running Seeker Caps, which was a micro cap research company, uh, trying to find the best ideas first and, and provide great analysis on it. And then we had the, one of the first episodes, which is great to hear on the stock screener on on your podcast here and then following seeker caps i took a role as an equity research associate at oppenheimer in the city uh, covering cloud and communications i was there for two years Uh, during my time there i fell down the crypto rabbit hole and uh, you know started researching ethereum and all these other cryptocurrencies trying to get a sense of whether or not they would be disruptive to the companies we had under coverage so at my time at oppenheimer i wrote a you know wrote, uh, you know, with my analyst, a 100-page blockchain white paper there, basically, you know, taking a different approach than a lot of the research that was being put out on the street. So it wasn't on Bitcoin's price. It was on the platforms. It was on security tokens. It was on the shift to monetizing open source software. Um, So we covered it from a a much broader internet-type angle. Um, And it it was very well-received, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it was great to put out, great to research. Um, And then following that, I I wanted to spend 100% of my time on it, so I opened 51% Crypto Research, which is a subscription site for professional analysts, investors, and funds uh, for original content analysis on the crypto space. 
So, you know, I also wanted to go back to because, you know, I want to, I feel that, and I could just be guessing here, but, you know, you probably uh, provide some more insight on this is, you know, because I remember from our first interview, you know, you got your start investing in microcast back in high school, you know, and, uh, and I, would you say that, you know, since your start investing in microcaps and that experience they gave you, did it kind of lend itself to what you're doing now with 51%? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. So it's, it's definitely comparable on, on two parallels. I mean, the first one is, um, you know, the research is much of the same, you know, you're researching entities and protocols now, not companies, but it's a lot of research and, and finding the best ideas first. So that's all, all similar. The difference between, researching cryptos and the microcap space is actually pretty interesting. So, you know, back when I was researching microcap companies, there would be, you know, three, four, five people interested in a name, you know, maybe more if it was published on a site. And, you know, access to management was, you know, one of the best factors of microcap investing um, as well. So in the crypto space, instead of having, you know, five people interested in a name, you have thousands of people interested in names. So the, that lends itself to, you know, an incredible amount of research that's coming out um, from all these people, which is amazing. Uh, the second thing is the access to management is, is pretty much the same as well. I mean, you have founders and developers that are eager to share their story with you. Um, and that's similar to the microcap space where you get to talk to these great founders first. Mm -hmm. And then on a market cap perspective, I mean, a lot of these ICOs, uh, at least the smaller ones, are around the same size as microcap companies. So... You know, there's 50, 100, 200 million dollar market cap ICOs that anybody can, you know, buy, sell, trade just like they can in the microcap space. Mm -hmm. So you you alluded to this a little bit in the beginning, but you know, I wanted to get uh, even more on this. Is you know, what what really was it about cryptocurrency that sparked your interest? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that sparked my interest in crypto. I mean, one of the main things was. You know, I hate to get buzzwordy here, but I mean, the decentralization aspect was huge for me. Um, and the other thing that was really big for me, and it, this might be a little specific, is that you get access to platforms and protocols that are open source that anybody can work on. So now instead of having, you know, 10 or 20 people in a room, you know, working on a, you know, a company or a platform, whatever, you have, you know, millions of developers around the world working on these protocols to fix, improve them, and create new use cases. And you'll never get that at a public company. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you could. anybody could tweak open source software, but at a closed company with proprietary software, it, whether it gets implemented is a, you know, a question mark. So I love the open source, you know, monetizing open source software. I love the idea that we create protocols that nobody controls. Um, you know, I, there's just so much about the space that, you know, we can go on. But basically, the point is that you have protocols and platforms that nobody owns, that people can control, you know, a stake in um, and see where it goes from there. Okay, so I'm definitely going to ask a follow up question on that. Because, you know, you said one quote at the beginning, and it, you kind of just talked about it there again, about this idea that it's protocols and platforms, as opposed to being companies. We were talking about ICOs and various companies that are developing this technology, but I'm going to come back to that because you know this is actually one of my first episodes, really discussing what crypto is, you know how how it works. So you know for those who uh, you know who may not have heard uh, about cryptocurrency, which I know is a very select few, 
but or even those who have heard about it and maybe just don't even know how to wrap their head around it, let's start from the baseline. You know, uh, in a simp in as simple a definition as you can. You know, what is cryptocurrency and what is blockchain technology? Yeah, of course. So, so cryptocurrencies are basically coins that you know trade in the open market. You could use them as a store of value. You could use them as a form of payment. Um, you know, think digital gold when you think of Bitcoin, but people have to separate blockchain from cryptocurrencies. So blockchain is the architecture or the protocol that enables cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin has its own blockchain. Ethereum has its own blockchain. It's just the platform layer that, that powers the currencies themselves. I see. Okay. So let's, let's dig a little deeper then. I mean, I know I'm sure you're aware of a little bit of history you know, around it, you know, where, where did it all begin? You know, how, how did it start? You know, I know we could do a whole two hours on it, I'm sure, but you know, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> maybe it's, it's worth it going in for, uh, for new people. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, a lot of people say this stuff is, is brand new. It's really not. I mean, Bitcoin's going to be 10 years old next year. And, you know, the elements that make up Bitcoin, you know, the three main pieces, you know, cryptography, networking, and, and open source, you know, all that stuff goes back decades. So, you know, this, you know, when people say, oh, Bitcoin's brand new, it's really not. It's just gained a lot of attention over the past few years because of, you know, the insane price appreciation of Bitcoin and now other, you know, known as altcoins like Ethereum and, and other ones that uh, basically sparked a lot of interest and speculation. Um, so, you know, going back, Bitcoin's the original cryptocurrency. It's a form of payment. It's a store of value. Um, you know, I could send it to you in seconds and it, it won't cost that much at, you know, current prices to do so. Um, we never touch a bank. We never touch an intermediary, um, you know, except for on-ramps and off-ramps. Uh, but, you know, that was the original use case. So if we fast forward a few years, Ethereum came out, which is you know, the second largest crypto right now, $30 billion market cap today. And for full disclosure, uh, do you do you own any Ethereum? Yes, I do own Ethereum. Okay. I don't own Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you fast forward a few years, people started to say, you know, what else can we do with blockchain? Or, you know, can we go beyond a form of payment and a form of currency? And the answer is, you know, yes. You know, Ethereum came out a few years ago. Uh, Vitalik Buterin founded it. And basically it's, a platform layer for decentralized applications. So the best way I think to describe it um, is probably to think of Amazon Web Services. So people, if they want to run an application, basic or you know, think of a company or think of an app. They go on Amazon and they can host all of their infrastructure there. But the problem is that a centralized party controls it. On Ethereum, you can create applications known as decentralized applications that have no owner. So Bobby can create Bobby's decentralized podcast and distribute tokens. And everybody who owns a token controls part of the platform. So that's basically the gist of, you know, where we are on an evolution wise from Bitcoin to where we are today. Mm. So I'm already hearing from investors that might be listening to this uh, interview and they're kind of like, okay, platforms and protocols, it's owned by everybody. There's no companies like, where's where's the where's the value you know like where as an investor how how do i participate what what does that look like to me you know what are the business models are there business models you know so can you get into that a little bit yeah of course so 
I mean, one of the first things, you know, people have to, one of the first and hardest things to do in the space is to mentally switch people over from trying to value the stuff on everything they've learned and where's the DCF here and, you know, what are my costs of capital? What's, you know, everybody needs to put that by the wayside while they learn crypto. And if they merge over time, that's great. But the only way to fully understand it is to separate the two. You know, we're not valuing companies here. We're valuing networks. Um, we're not using, you know, there's no, when you think of control in a normal company, you think of CEOs and boards of directors, right? Now we have developers and miners and, you know, white papers instead of 10Ks. It's a totally different realm. So to truly understand the space, people need to stop trying to meld crypto into finance, you know, terminology and really separate the two. I guess that's, you know, my main advice. So I hope that answers the question. I don't know if I went off a little tangent there. No, not at all. Actually, to follow up on that, so Lynn, let's let's lay out the landscape. You know, you said this is new technology. This is, you know, maybe if you maybe as best you can is trying to equivocate, like you know, the a filing to uh, something in crypto or the white paper. You know. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's go into it. So I mean, if you want to, so if you want to start a new, I mean. Starting a new blockchain might be tough. I mean, you already have Bitcoin and Ethereum that kind of solve that, right? So let's say that you want to start a protocol or an entity built on top of one of the existing blockchains. Real quick. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, really quick. Define pro protocol for everybody. So uh, it's basically just computer code. I mean, if you want to deploy, let's say, an application on a blockchain, right? Like a decentralized application. Mm -hmm you can easily do that on existing blockchains. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel anymore. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure is already there to deploy it. So if you want to deploy you know, a new platform or a new decentralized application, whatever your use case is, mm -hmm. um, you can already do that on existing blockchains. So you can deploy an application on Ethereum if you're a coder or developer pretty quickly. It's, uh, it's not too hard anymore. And that's you know, one of the key reasons why we've seen so many ICOs over the past year. Gotcha, okay. So let's go. So now let's go back to the first question on, you know, what is the new, like, let's say as an investor, you know, and you're looking to, uh, I'm skipping ahead a little bit in my questions, but, you know, we might as well get into it. You know, if you're an investor and you're looking into one of these ICOs or protocols as a potential investment, you know, what are some of the things that you look for or that, you know, should be that, that are easily uh, observable to help you develop your thesis? Yeah, great question. So I guess the first part is that you have to differentiate between where you want to invest. If you want to invest on the infrastructure layer, you're buying something like Ethereum. Mm -hmm. You know, you're that's the infrastructure layer. That's the AWS of blockchain. That's where everything's being built upon. Um, and that's a huge shift from the current internet because in the current internet, the infrastructure layer, like think about it, HTTPS or whatever, TCP IP, accrued little or no value because there was no way to monetize it, right? Today, in Ethereum, the infrastructure layer is a huge value capture. Um, so basically, the stack has flipped. The infrastructure layer in blockchain is massively valuable, and the infrastructure layer of the existing internet was not. Um, that's a key point. So then moving on above that is that the applications on top of the internet today are insanely valuable, Facebook, Google, et cetera. The, the applications on top of blockchain aren't as valuable. And you know, there's a few reasons for that. It's 
because all of this code deployed for all of these decentralized applications or, you know, power, you know, that raise money through ICOs, it's all open source software. So all of that software can be basically copied and redeployed. Now you have to convince all the existing users to move over, but the point is that the barriers, the moats in decentralized applications are way lower than the existing internet. And that's a product of the stack being flipped, as we as we just discussed. Gotcha. All right. So, I mean, if you, I, I mean, not to overcomplicate it, but if you want to buy the infrastructure, you buy something like Ethereum. If you want to buy, you know, the next Facebook, then you're looking at ICOs and, and you're looking to invest there. Gotcha. I see. Okay. So then let's dig deeper. So let's say you're looking at in, an infrastructure play. You know, what are what are the different uh, things that you used, for instance, when you were analyzing Ethereum? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Ethereum is it's hard to it's hard to differentiate um, the, the infrastructure layer of blockchains beyond a few key variables. Um, so remember, just for the listeners, I mean, the, the ICOs and the decentralized applications, those are all that people are investing in. Those are all built on top of these infrastructure layers. So, but if you want to compare the base infrastructure layers, then you're comparing things like, you know, to some degree, Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus other newer popular blockchains like EOS, which is known as EOS and NEO and others. So all of these infrastructure layer blockchains have inherent trade-offs um, that have to be weighed by investors. So with Ethereum, you get insane decentralization. 17,000 nodes across the globe storing the data and all the data from the applications built on top of it across the globe. You know, that can't be hacked. That can't be controlled by a single entity, a government, a corporation, anything. So it's very secure, right? But the trade-off is every one of those nodes has to process every transaction. Mm -hmm. So you get very low transactions per second, you know, 12 to 15, right? And that's hard for developers to build on. And that's, you know, a concern. The good thing is that a lot of, you know, scalability improvements are being rolled out and developed that I'm getting pretty excited about. Uh, things like sharding and proof of stake that are, they're somewhat technical to improve that transaction throughput. Um, but the point is that there's other blockchain platforms like EOS that have way fewer nodes. So there's only 21 nodes around the globe and it could process, you know, thousands of transactions per second. So a developer has to weigh, okay, do I want to invest in this decentralized infrastructure layer Ethereum that's basically the champion of blockchain, or do I want to invest in something that might be sufficiently decentralized but can handle way more transactions per second? Um, to be, I've already disclosed that I own Ethereum. I don't own EOS. I think EOS has a lot of technical problems that they're basically having a lot of trouble figuring out. But the point is that you have to invest in where the platforms are going to be in two, five, ten years. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, if that makes sense. No, for sure. So I guess I guess my my question then from there is, you know, let's say you're a lay investor. You know, you don't off the bat know these things. Like you don't off the bat know like, okay, I want infrastructure. You know, uh, uh, block. You know, type type uh, uh, protocols that I'm looking for or or platforms. You know, I, I'm I'm very fresh. You know, like. Like for you, when you first got started, you know, what did you do? Did you read white papers? Did you look at management? You know, like compare it to how you were when you first started looking at a microcap stock or your first stock or, you know, when you when you applied that experience to this space, 
you know, what, what were the things that you looked at that helped you make a case like, okay, this might have value or it's undervalued. So now I want to invest in it. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And you know what, it, it, I guess, you know, not to get too technical or, you know, I'll try not to, but the, one of the key things with microcap companies is you're betting on the jockey, you're betting on management Mm -hmm. because they have the most stake in the game. They're on the front lines. They have, you know, they're the main drivers of value in the company. The company could be terrible, but management could turn it around. Mm -hmm. They could fix it, whatever. So basically in the blockchain and crypto space, it's the exact same way. You want to bet on the developers and the founders. You know, it was no more board of directors. Now it's the board of developers. There's no more 10Ks. Now it's white papers. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no more, you know, quarterly conference calls. There's Reddit threads. Um, (laughs) There's core developer calls. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about it, but it's it's a totally different landscape. But the merit is still the same. You Mm want to bet on the best developers and the best founders. And there's a lot of ways that you could point that out. I mean, you want to bet on the smartest developers with the best track record, the ones that don't care about making money, that really want to add value and infrastructure and you know layers for people to build on. The so, ones that are open to criticism and fixing their platform are huge too. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, how do you quantify that? Because I mean, as you said, like crypto space, it's only 10 years old. Like, So to see somebody say, you know... Uh, I have, uh, you're not going to see a lot of resumes that say I have experience in developing this crypto company or this crypto protocol or that one, because, uh, you know, it's, it's still so young and, and, and there hasn't, you know, yeah, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, no. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you're not going to go to a website and see like a management team for Ethereum. You know what I mean? You're not, you're never going to see that and and you never want to see that, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want that much centralization, but what you can look at is you can look at the decisions that the developers make every day to improve these platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, are they rent seeking? Do they want to attract, you know, extract a ton of, you know, value through fees? You know, you see that with something like Zcash where the developers make hundreds of thousands of dollars a day for doing nothing. And that's why the inflation rate is huge. Hey, they do a lot of research and work. I give them that. But it's, it's a, the argument is that other, you know, privacy coins like Monero don't have that kind of payout ratio every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's other things. I mean, you could listen to the developer calls and you could see the platform improvements and you could read their tweets and you can see what they're doing to improve the platform for the future and make decisions that benefit the actual platform itself. And that's huge because it's just like a microcap CEO that wants to benefit his company, um, you know, for the future. So do you consider business models at all? You know, do you, when you're evaluating a new uh, uh, cryptocurrency or, or, or protocol or platform, you know, because to my knowledge, there hasn't been one that other than, let's say, exchanges, you know, where they're actually generating revenue. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So, you know, when you look at, let, let's move up the stack mentally here. So let's go from the infrastructure layer like Ethereum to, you know, a decentralized application that's built on top of it, Right. Um, think about like a decentralized Twitter. There's something like Keep ETH, which is a similar concept. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these ICOs that were raised over the past year, it's, you know, in the billions. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. But what these companies or entities did was they raised a bunch of money on it on the Ethereum platform using an easy standard called ERC-20. They raised a bunch of money. And in return, they gave investors or, you know, you could argue utility token users, uh, a token on their platform to use it. Now, the problem is 
a lot of these platforms that raise money that gave out tokens, a lot of the tokens have no, you know, sustainable use case within the decentralized applications themselves. So the question is, do I actually need this token to use this application? And if the answer is no, then the token's worthless. But the problem is, to find that answer, a lot of people didn't care about reading the white papers or you know, looking into the crypto economics of the token, and they just blindly invested. So you're seeing that in the space today, is that investors are asking themselves, you know, okay, what do a lot of these tokens do? And the answer is, a lot of the tokens don't have a real use case. Mm -hmm. So I guess then from from there is, you know, because I got this question myself is, you know, if you're buying, you know, a, a, a token, you know, or one one question I got was, you know, am I buying a share in the company or or is this just a to like what what is this and and is there and and you kind of answered that one in, in terms of utility token, but it'd be great to have a clear definition of that. And then what's the is there any type of other tokens out there or is it just a utility token? Yeah, so I mean, you could you could put it into three buckets if you want. So the first bucket's cryptocurrencies. So those are just tokens that exchange value, store value. You could think of Bitcoin, right? The next one up is utility tokens. That's something like Ethereum. That's a token that can be actually used to power a network. So Ethereum, which is an Ether, the Ether can be used, or the ETH can be used to power the network. If I want to run a decentralized application, I need to actually use that token to pay for the compute and storage and everything to power the application. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum's a true utility token. And then third on the list would be security tokens. Um, there's a lot of buzz around securitizing you know, the world. And it makes a lot of sense because you can cut down on, you know, I mean, you've seen this through ICOs. I mean, when you do a normal IPO, you have to pay you know, 7% to Wall Street bankers. You need to do road shows. You need to pay millions of dollars in listing fees every year. It's insane. Mm. You know, with an ICO, you could raise money overnight and market on Twitter. Uh, so, I mean, of course, a lot of shady stuff has happened, but the concept of raising money in real time with limited costs will unlock a ton of new use cases and business cases that can survive because the cost to start a business are way lower mm -hmm. um, to attract capital. So, you know, security tokens are, you know, in the future, there's not too much going on there. There's platforms to roll them out for, you know, existing equities and, and property and debt. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of that until next year or the year after. Why is there is there a lot of talks going on in Washington about you know the difference between a like like one of my questions I actually had for you is is talking about the difference between like an ICO and what's known as a STO, which is uh, I, I believe it's a securitized token offering, so, right? Yeah. So uh, the ICOs are. So just to step back, the ICOs sure. are initial coin offerings. They're to raise money um, in exchange for a token. Uh, you don't send money to these entities. You would send you know, Ether or Bitcoin, and in exchange, you would get a token. That would be an ICO. Mm -hmm. A security token offering is similar. You know, same, same idea, same concept. But in exchange, you get, a, you get an actual token that represents ownership in an entity, whereas a utility token is just a token used to power a network. Um, the problem is, or the, you know, the argument is that a lot of the ICOs that were done over the past year are actually 
security tokens because mm-hmm. the tokens don't have a true utility within the network or application itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, companies like Polymath, which I own, um, and other companies like Harbor that are private are trying to roll out regulated security tokens that say, hey, look, ICOs were great. You know, We want to do this in a regulated manner uh, for equity and debt and you know, real estate and real instruments. So that's what they're trying to do with uh, security tokens. But they don't have a utility. They're just ownership in an entity. Mm-hmm. So another question I have is, is uh, and we kind of touched on this one already, is you know, why, why are investors both new and seasoned now interested in this new asset class because they're clearly there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, growing pains right now it seems. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, they're interested because their clients are interested, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, you talk to a, a seasoned analyst or somebody, you know, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is it's a bubble, right? They don't even care about, you know, they don't care about monetizing open source software. You know, they don't care about raising money through ICOs and the seconds and the problems that solves. Um, you know, they don't care about linking up millions of developers around the world to work on common infrastructure, which is all great. But the reason I think that people are starting to get interested is because the price appreciation is just insane. I mean, Bitcoin's at 6,000. People forget that people bought it at cents. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think they actively made the decision to buy Bitcoin at, when it was under a dollar. I think a lot of those people you know, had other use cases for it, whether it be on Silk Road or something like that. But the point is that the price appreciation of these cryptocurrencies and these tokens is attracting a lot of attention. And all those prices have come down significantly this year. Um, You know, Bitcoin was at 19,000, it's at seven. Ethereum was at 1,400, it's at 300. Because, you know, questions are starting, or investors are starting to question, you know, what is the actual future of these projects? Um, and that's gaining a lot of interest around here, not only on, you know, not only on a use case side, but on a scale side. So there's a lot going on, on, you know, to grow these platforms and increase their functionalities. Mm-hmm. So where would you say we are in the life cycle of, of cryptocurrencies right now? You know, is it, are we still early? Like if you were to use a baseball game, I don't know how much you know about baseball, but like what inning would you say we're in? Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at sports. I, I root for whatever <laughs> team my friends like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I would argue, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I would probably say the second inning, mm-hmm. um, maybe the third. And you know, the reason I say that is, you know, I opened the, I opened up when I said Bitcoin's almost ten years old, right? Which it is. So it, it sounds old, but the real truth of it is that, you know, Bitcoin didn't start to gain like mass attention until. 2013, 2014, and then newer platforms didn't roll like Ethereum that power these new use case and applications didn't roll out until 2015 and 2016 for others. I mean, the main Ethereum competitor, EOS, launched this summer. So I mean, we're in really, you know, very early stages. And I ask everyone the same question you asked me, but I do feel that we're in very early innings here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could tell that the market cap of all crypto tokens and everything is, I think, around 200 billion. I mean, that's, you know, pick your large cap company that that's smaller than, you know. So, so what do you see as like the potential inflection point for the industry at large? I mean, is it more regulation? Is it, um, you know, more retailers, big box retailers uh, accepting payment in crypto? I mean, what what is it? It's a good question. Um, I actually don't really 
care if Walmart accepts Bitcoin or Amazon accepts Litecoin. I could care less. Um, it's not it's not the use case I see for it. Um, and I don't think that that's really the selling point. I think that investors should get excited over a few things going on. And that's on two fronts. So I think there's a lot of work being done on the development side of Ethereum that people aren't really following. So, you know, not to get overly technical, but the, the methods to scale Ethereum while maintaining the decentralization um, is gaining a lot of momentum. The developers are, you know, set to roll out new updates and new improvements in the coming months known as, you know, there's a hard fork coming called Constantinople in late October uh, that's on the horizon. And then, you know, that unlocks a lot of new use cases that didn't work in the past. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. And then on the other side is that, you know, you have the Wall Street finance angle. You know, you have custody options picking up by banks and startups that allow the custody of these assets. Because remember, you know, a lot of, you know, in the past, you hold crypto assets on a, a hardware wallet. And if you lose it and don't have a backup phrase, you know, all your funds are lost. That's an insane custody issue for a lot of funds. And so, you know, there's a lot of startups, Coinbase, Gemini. Um, and then there's, you know, large banks exploring custody options. And that's the that's the preface to an ETF. Mm. So, you know, you have a lot on the finance side going on with futures and ETFs. And I think both sides are picking up. I think the development side is seriously picking up. Mm. And then the finance side with ETFs and, and custody and et cetera is also growing really fast. So I think October, November, December is going to be a really interesting time for crypto. So then, so what's like the mainstream inflection point? Because, you know, we have, we'll have lay my, uh, uh, crypto investor or people that are interested in crypto here, you know, hard forks and this, you know, and they're like, all right, what the hard forks, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, you know, they may have learned what it is from, from here, but you know, ultimately they're like, okay, how do I wrap my head around that as a, an inflection point? Like what, what is the value then they're opening up use cases? Great. Where's the, where's the business? Model? You know, I'm just, cause I, the, uh, listen, these are all criticisms that I heard, you know, over the, you know, over the last year, year and a half going to conferences. No, no, Bobby, I agree but, with you. And it, you know what the you point know, is that, when you're using blockchain and crypto, mm-hmm. you want to get to the. You're not going to get to the point of mass adoption until people don't even know they're using it. Like, how mm-hmm. do I? Like, we called together on on Skype, right? Mm-hmm. Do we know how Skype works? No, God, no, right? But we have an easy to use interface that connects us, and we can create whatever we want on top of that in the form of our conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So the point is for blockchain and crypto to get to a similar state where. It doesn't matter what we're doing with it. The only thing that matters is that it's easy to use. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that's 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 so, okay. Well, no, it's a tough question. You know, I mean, so a mainstream adoption could take many forms. And you know, I, I say this to everybody: is that you know, with wireless technologies, we didn't know that three G and four G speeds would unlock, you know, Uber and you know. Facebook and all these applications, right? But we did know that the speed and throughput and connection density would all increase, right? Mm-hmm. So that's basically where we are today with blockchains. We know that upgrades like Casper and Proof of Stake will increase the scalability and the throughput of these platforms, but we have no idea what the killer use cases will be. Mm-hmm. And for anybody that you know is looking for a use case, you know, don't look too hard. I mean, we have we already know what the main use cases are. For Bitcoin, it's a store of payment and a, and a transfer of value. For Ethereum, it's raising money on ICOs currently. Um, so that's basically 
you know, where we are today. We're, we're in the infrastructure investment sp uh, stage, and uh, that's probably going to keep on going forever. But the point is that new use cases will pop up once the scale gets there, um, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So then a follow-up question I have would be is, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, look, things are, are rapidly being developed exponentially at this point. You know, back, you know, when, when I think about 3G and 4G, you know, that took many years of development before we finally developed that use case. You know, so, I mean, where where do you see, for instance, you know, now that we're developing this infrastructure, you know, how far away are we from actually these use cases becoming monetized? It's a good point. And just to go like on the speed of development, I think things are going to happen a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And that's because that blockchain and crypto was built on the internet, which is already developed, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't have to dig the hole anymore. The foundation's there. We're just building on top of it with new things, right? Mm -hmm. But as for the new use cases, we're going to have to wait for the scale to get there. And when I when I say scale, I mean scale in a centralized manner. If you have if you want to use a blockchain for a highly scalable app, you know, use EOS. You know, it's whatever. It's but the problem is it's it can do more transactions, but it's not decentralized. It's not mm -hmm. what blockchain entails. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want what you get out of a blockchain, a true blockchain with something like Ethereum mm -hmm. and you need scale mm -hmm. with decentralization, that's coming. So we're going to have to wait to see the use cases there. Uh, but for people building on EOS and other centralized blockchains, literally go on Amazon Web Services. I don't see the difference. If anything, it might be more decentralized because of the number of data centers that the data is actually stored on. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if, the point is that we need scale at a decentralized level. And we're moving towards that over the next few months. I see. So what about the arguments in terms of, you know, the amount of uh, computing power or the amount of energy that it takes to power these platforms? You know, we're, that, that's come up as a big problem in terms of actually having enough materials to run all these, you know, uh, just so much uh, computing that's going on. You know, what, what do you see going on there? Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, there's a there's a website I forgot Digiconomist or I forgot the name of it that tracks Bitcoin's energy use. It's just like insane. I, I I might be giving the wrong stat here, but I think it's like half a percent of all electric or something like that. It's insane. Um, wow. And you know that's derived because every um, node on the Bitcoin network and Ethereum, don't forget, is is the same method currently. Is every node has to process every single transaction. Um, which is insanely wasteful. So, so, so are we at the dial-up era right now? Is that what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think dial-up might be, uh, I mean, you could probably have more people dial-up at once than you can on Ethereum. I, you know, right now, I'm not sure. But you're right. We're early. We're, we're really early. But the, the problem is, or, you know, what I look at and what you look at with any company you invest in is where is this going to be in a year, five or 10 years? And then everyone discounts that back. And that's where you get right. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin has no plans to move away from this energy intensive proof of work. They have no plans to increase scale outside of what they call the lightning network. But, you know, I've heard from developers that's insanely hard to implement on, on Bitcoin, which is just the scaling technique um, they're using. Gotcha. But when you look at, you know, other platforms like Ethereum, you have, millions of developers working on a crazy platform to increase the scale every day. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, another question I had that I know a lot, I, I get this a lot from, you know, lay investors or, you know, uh, family members, you know, it's just like, what happened last year where, you know, all of a sudden we saw this exponential price increase across the board in crypto? I mean, something else must have happened, you know, for for everything to just explode like it did. You know, I mean, it was it was insane. In the in the beginning of the year, I'd say starting because I I'd really say it started like what like June July 2017 where you really started to see you know that right was it around there and then yeah well you had you had a lot of things going on so you had the the main thing is that the exchanges were really easy to use mm -hmm. so you know things like Coinbase you could download an app and buy Ethereum and Bitcoin you know instantly uh, all those user experience and user interface issues were gone in purchasing crypto. So it was way easier to buy. In the past, you, I mean, people used to go on eBay and buy Bitcoin, mm -hmm. um, which is insane. Uh, but the other thing was the ICO craze. You know, you had companies raising hundreds of millions of dollars overnight. And to do that, you needed Ethereum and Bitcoin to do so. So people were buying Bitcoin and Ethereum and then investing in ICOs and would get locked up. And, you know, as with bid-ask spreads, I mean, more buyers just pushing the price up insanely. That's what happened. Um, mm -hmm. And that drove insane price increases across the board. I mean, I know Bitcoin, you know, was that was that 19,000 triple the level here, but you have all coins that were going up tens, hundreds of thousands of percents, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people didn't track because they were smaller, but it was insane. I agree. And that's come down a lot since. Yeah. No, I remember. I, I remember trying to buy Bitcoin on Mount Gox back in the day in two thousand <laughs> two thousand eleven. Yeah, two thousand eleven. Oh God, Mount Gox has been a wreck. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was. <laughs> well, I it ended up. I wish I got it because I think it was at like fifty bucks a a coin, but. I, uh, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. I didn't get. I didn't get it though because I wanted to verify my account, and at the time it took like eight weeks. To, to verify. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and with Coinbase, when I opened an account with Coinbase, I mean, it, it was like, uh, it was instant. It was very, very fast. Um, when so, was this? And how'd you buy? Uh, Mount Gox, you mean? Or, yeah. Or, when did you make the purchase or, or when did you try to? What year? I tried, when was it? It was 2000. It was either, it was literally like a month before it went from like 50 to 1,000. So I can't remember if that was 2011 or 2012. I want to say it was 2011. Oh my God. Or maybe it was 2012. Shit, I, pardon my French. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those it's one of those moments where I'm always just kicking myself. Or not. I mean, I had friends that had it on Mount Gox and then lost everything because they couldn't sell. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's so. uh, I mean, that's one of the problems with, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So all of the hacks, or, you know, 99% of them, the hacks on crypto and blockchain mm -hmm. happen at the exchange. Mm -hmm. the, the blockchain, you know, Bitcoin's blockchain and Ethereum's blockchain are safe. They're fine. But all these hacks happen at the exchange level. Right. I mean, take your pick of an exchange. I mean, Mt. Gox is the biggest one. I think the Bitcoins that were stolen at Mt. Gox are worth over $6 billion today. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the blockchain itself is fine. And that's why I recommend everybody to not keep any crypto on any exchange ever. Mm -hmm. And to put it on a hardware wallet through Ledger or Trezor, take your pick and... Mm -hmm you know, maintain control of your own crypto because you can't trust an exchange to do it anymore. Right. Actually, that's, that's a good point that you brought up. And, and it, and let's, let's lead it to an even larger question is, you know, let's talk about some of the more, you know, risks or pitfalls or, or things that people have expressed as to, you know, 
you know, concerns regarding crypto and, and, you know, at least as, as it exists right now? Yeah, well, um, I mean, the main concern is, I mean, on, on the security side, I mean, one of the main concerns is, you know, storing your own crypto in a hardware wallet. And, you know, it's not hard. Don't get me, you know, it's not, you know, rocket science, but it takes, you know, it takes time. It takes a few hours. You got to sit down. You got to make sure that you store this device in a good location. You know, you need to make sure that you store your seed phrase in a, you know, in a good backup location, whether it be a safety deposit box or a safe or, you know, I mean, people sometimes forget that what they're dealing with is a valuable asset that has real value. And there's no password reset option on this website because mm-hmm. uh, there is no website. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. So people really need to, I think people mentally need to really place the value on the fact that they're literally controlling the asset. There's no bank, there's no Facebook, there's no intermediary here. And that's the point. But, you know, people really need to, uh, to keep that secure. And then the other, the other risk is, um, you know, just making sure that you know what you own and why you own it. The same with microcap or, or mainstream investing. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So I want to now shift into, you know, what you got going on over there at, at 51%. You know, you talked about a little bit at the beginning, but uh, let's dig right in. You know, what what is 51% and uh, is there a meaning behind the name? Yeah, yeah, of course. So it's 51pct.io. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a, a cool domain and, and I liked it. And then the 51% actually corresponds to, it's got two parts. So 51% attack on a blockchain network is where, you know, 51% of of the controls exerted and somebody takes control of the blockchain, right? It's a major problem um, to avoid. So my goal was to educate the 51% to make sure they make the right decision. Uh, that's basically the, the meaning behind the name. Mm-hmm. And then what do you- It gets, a, it gets yeah. a 0.72 kind of a feel, but it also has a developer meaning behind it. <laughs> gotcha. And then, and then maybe reiterate and, and dig a little deeper as to you know, what, what your goals are with 51%. You know, what are you trying to achieve over there? Yeah, so, you know, Blockchain and crypto is a consumer first movement. You know, consumer and retail investors are honestly years ahead of analysts and funds on this. You know, not the main crypto funds, but the majority of retail is way beyond, you know, analysts and Wall Street on on all of this stuff. You know, and that's basically what I ran into and I noticed um, my last position was that there's a huge potential here to not only educate existing funds and analysts, but actually crypto funds and even professional investors on the space and not just educate. I mean, you know, I want to do, and I already do, uh, you know, head to heads on platforms and what does the scaling, you know, effort mean to Ethereum and the future of it? And will it negatively impact the price? Uh, you know, let's compare the inflation rates under different block rewards, all this stuff. I want to boil down into simple, understandable reads for anybody. Um, so my site's open to everybody. It does have a financial, uh, focus to it, um, which is good. But, you know, let's be honest, Bobby, analysts and developers and, or not developers, but analysts and, and fund managers on the street, they're not going to spend 10 hours listening to developer calls all day, right? But, sure. you know, I can and I could send them a three page report on what's important. And so it's a huge time savings and the analysis is definitely worth it for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, is there anybody else doing that? Like, because it feels like it's only been in the last couple of years where you're really, uh, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people, a lot of, you know, even, even friends, you know, that are um, really digging into trying to value, you know, some of these ICOs and, and platforms. I mean, is, is there just this significant need from the institution side 
because one of the biggest things that was going around when when the it really exploded you know late last year was that you know oh this is the time when it, or actually when the price was going down they were like oh they want the price of crypto market to go down across the board because then you know that's when institutions are going to start to you know pick up some of this stuff because they want to buy it you know when it's at it's the lowest of low i mean you know oh well i mean they're on your point right there i mean every crypto fund i talk to or, or main fund is seeing significant interest from the institutional side even at these depressed prices mm -hmm. so i mean that's a huge thing that people have to keep in mind is that you know a lot of people were pissed that they didn't buy ethereum or bitcoin when it was higher but now that it's lower they don't buy it just because the price has come down i mean that one shows that they haven't done research, but it too shows that they're not really interested, right? But I definitely think that, you know, valuation is a key thing to talk about and analyze, but, mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely something that I'm going to do in the future. Mm -hmm. But right now, I, I think there's a ton of value and I see a ton of interest from, you know, whatever the biggest topic of the week is, you know, is it Ethereum scaling? Is it Bitcoin's Lightning Network? Is it this new coin or that new ICO? Just mm -hmm. analyze analyze it to death and put it in a format that's easily understandable and readable for readers. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. So I have, uh, I opened 51% a few weeks ago and I have a report out, uh, today actually just on Ethereum's, uh, these EIPs. So Ethereum has these improvement proposals that the developers put out to improve the platform and they all compete. So there's a few different ones out to lower, what's paid to miners to validate transactions. So if you think about it, that's kind of like an inflation rate because if we're paying out more to miners, more Ethereum gets created as block rewards or in, in layman's terms, you're paying for security. So mm -hmm. what are we paying to secure the network under each of these proposals? So I did, you know, I analyzed the inflation rates under each proposal, you know, what that would mean for the total supply. I did, you know, what that would mean for security. And I put that all in an easy format Mm -hmm. um, and put it out. And there's, you know, there's a time saving value there. There's analysis value there. So, and it's, you know, I love doing it and it's what keeps me up at night and I put it out. So it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely valuable. Nice. And what are, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that the information you're compiling, you know, uh, from doing all this research, these are questions that institutions had been asking you, correct? Like about, yeah, about cryptos. I mean, if, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you're invested in, I mean, Ethereum is just easy to talk about. If you're invested in Ethereum, you seriously care about these things going on. Like mm -hmm. you seriously care about these proposals because all these proposals and all these improvements are basically company changes. Um, not, it's not, they're not, it's not a company, right? It's a protocol, but they're major changes to the network that will affect the value and the viability of it moving forward. So these things seriously, seriously matter. So if you're like, let's say you're a microcap company or, or a main company and you're thinking about, you know, let's say you make your, you know, laptops out of aluminum and you're now thinking of going to a different material. I mean, that's a very different comparison, but, you know, that's the changes that go on. And, and don't forget, I mean, you're at the infrastructure layer here. So whatever changes here affects all the applications built on top of it. So you have all of those developers and all of those founders and all of those users also interested in this information. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say, like it's, you know, it sounds weird, like, oh, why would an investor on Wall Street, you know, care about Ethereum scaling or this improvement proposal? But trust me, I mean, these are the changes that affect the value of the platform. So they're insanely interested in it. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so here I'm going to ask a, this is my fun question. Uh, I think you answered this way back when, uh, when we were first talking about just microcap investing. But, you know, what experience would you say taught you the most when embarking on this new venture into cryptocurrency and blockchain? Oh, being 100% confused. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, wondering why we even need this. You know, what is decentralization? Why do I care? This is dumb. You know, how do I value this? Like, oh, I can't use a DCF. All those stupid, annoying questions, that's what you get the most education and that's where you learn the most from. And I'm gonna, you know, the only tip I give people looking to go into the space is you cannot put 5% of your time or 10% of your time into this. Um, if you plan to use a quarter of your time, don't even buy anything. Uh, you know, that's my advice because there's so many aspects of this space um, that, Nobody can be an expert in all of them. I mean, you have incentives, you have cryptography, you have crypto economics, you have ICOs, security tokens, developers, founders, code, clients, updates, hard forks, soft forks. You have so much going on in this space and there's so much being developed at any given time. There's no way to be an expert in everything. Um, you know, my goal is to synthesize down the most important and meaningful things for investors you know, and analysts and funds. And, you know, that's my goal, but I would not enter the space unless you're willing to commit your time to it. Um, or, you know, that's where my site comes in. You know, I had to throw the plug in there somewhere. Hey, that was a, no, that was a, a, a good, a good entrance right there. So then, all right. So, uh, you, I, I kind of know what you're going to say to this, but you know, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, what, What's then your advice for new investors that are considering uh, adding cryptocurrency or blockchain uh, to their portfolios? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I would say go buy it. Why not, right? Throw, you know, go open a Coinbase account tomorrow and, and add a hundred bucks of, you know, split it up between what's the four currencies on there, five currencies on there. You know, the only way, you know, it's just like, uh, I think Ian Castle said this, you know, good friend, microcap club founder, uh, extremely smart guy. Um, I think he either tweeted out recently or told it to me on the phone in the past. I mean, the best way to learn about a company is to buy a few shares in it. You know, whether you get emotionally invested in the company or whether you want to learn what's moving it, you'll, you'll always learn better if you own it. And I'm not saying, you know, break the bank, just buy enough that you'll track it and get interested in it and um, really take a dive into it. Cool. And then where can my audience go and find more information about you and, uh, and 51% and, uh, and now you're back on Twitter. So, uh, your Twitter handle yes. as well. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. I had to go back on eventually. Right. So yeah. my website is 51 PCT.io. Um, it's really easy to find and it's, uh, got to answer 51% crypto research, but it's 51 PCT.io and my Twitter handle actually just changed it. Let me uh, pull it up real quick. It's uh, Shaughnessy one one nine. So S H A U G H N E S S Y one one nine on Twitter. Nice. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, learning uh, what's going on in uh, uh, cryptocurrency and, and blockchain, and and I, we'll I'll have you back on again soon. I'm sure. I got more questions. Bobby, it's great to it's great to return after so long. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome Absolutely. to be on. Cool. I'll talk to you soon, man. So. Talk soon, Bobby. 
Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Tom, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast, where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.